You are listening to New Covenant Fellowship. And consider the notable kingdoms throughout history. Typically, they were expanding kingdoms. Kingdoms that would expand in terms of citizenship, numerically, as well as in terms of geography. In other words, these kingdoms would expand in terms of the number of citizens in the kingdom, the community, as well as the territory that that kingdom encompassed. And typically speaking, when it all boils down to it, the means by which those kingdoms expanded was the sword. Okay? A kingdom would expand through its military might. A king would lead his armies into battle against his enemies and force them to either submit, surrender, or face the sword. Now, if you face the sword and you're all put to death, guess what? We get to take over your territory. We get to expand our territory into your territory. Kingdom expansion. If you submit, if you surrender, well, we also get to expand our kingdom in terms of citizenship because now you guys get to be a part of our kingdom. In fact, now you are our slaves. Okay? You guys get to do all the manual labor while the rest of us get to spend our time in philosophy, scientific research, developing technologically in the arts. We grow more sophisticated. We become a bigger, better, more powerful nation in the process. And when wartime comes, guess who's employed in the army? You are now. So we've got even more manpower. We've got more military might. And so the biggest, baddest nation continues to be the biggest, baddest nation. It continues to expand in terms of geography and citizenship. Now, if a king had the biggest, baddest army and other nations caught word of that, and you heard about those guys over there in that kingdom, well, the tendency is to avoid going to war with that king at all costs, right? Now, there's no way that our little army could defeat his army, so one option would be to pay tribute to this king. Look, I tell you what, every year we'll give you X amount of money for you to not come and destroy us, okay? How does that sound? So then that king of that big, bad kingdom could then take that money and continue to expand and empower and increase his kingdom. New throne, new palace, or employ more uh, forces for his military and continue to increase in prowess. Now, another option would be to create an alliance with this king of this ever-expanding kingdom. You know what? Let's just team up. And if you guys go to war with these neighboring nations, we've got your back. We're on your team. We're on the same team. We got this. Well, then, at that point, that nation that decided to make an alliance with the biggest, baddest nation is then subject to having their territory annexed by the ever-expanding kingdom. And so the biggest, baddest kingdom is expanding both in terms of geography and in terms of citizenship. Now, consider some of the reasons why a kingdom would want to expand. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is pride, ego. I mean, the king thinking, I want to have the biggest, baddest kingdom. For my namesake, for my glory, I want to go down in history as the glorious one who had the biggest, bad, I want to take over the world. I mean, as I understand it, Alexander the Great cried 
when he found out that there was no more kingdoms to conquer. Dude, you did it all. Oh. I mean, <laughs> but in addition to pride, in addition to ego, there's a practical reason why one would want to expand his kingdom. And that would be security. If you're a teeny tiny puny kingdom, you're an easy target for a bigger, badder kingdom with a bigger, badder army. And so there's a sense in which having a large kingdom means security. Now, the sword, while it seems to be the primary means by which a kingdom expands, is not the only way. A kingdom can expand in terms of citizenship by means of childbirth. One family in a kingdom has four children, just expanded by four. However, historically, oftentimes, when a census of a nation was taken, women and children were not counted because, after all, they couldn't wield the sword. They couldn't expand the kingdom through military might. So, oftentimes, women and children not counted. Again, kingdom expansion tends to come back to the sword. Now, we know from our studies over the past year that the kingdom of heaven is also intended to be an ever-expanding kingdom. We saw this in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel has a dream in which he envisions a rock that strikes a statue representative of earthly kingdoms. And that rock grows and grows and grows and grows and grows until it becomes an, a mountain that fills the whole earth, representative of the kingdom, which starts out small and grows and grows and grows and eventually spreads throughout the whole earth. So we see from Daniel, the prophet, who spoke 6th century BC about the time of the kingdom, foretold the fact that it would start small and grow. It would be an expanding kingdom. Jesus, we looked at his parables. In Matthew 13, he tells two parables that also indicate the fact that the kingdom of heaven is to be an ever-expanding kingdom. He told a parable in which he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Even though it's the smallest of garden seeds, when it is planted, it grows and becomes one of the largest trees so that even birds can come and perch in its branches. That indicates the increase the expanding nature of the kingdom of heaven. Additionally, he said, the kingdom of heaven is also like yeast that a woman mixed into a batch of dough until it consumed the whole batch of dough. Again, kingdom increase. Well, we've also been talking about the fact that the kingdom of heaven is a very upside-down kingdom in the sense that in very many ways, the kingdom is backwards. It's counterintuitive. It's, it's upside down compared to many of the earthly kingdoms, compared to the natural way. So, as you might guess, the kingdom of heaven, though it, like earthly kingdoms, is to be an expanding kingdom, the means by which the kingdom of heaven expands is not the sword, but the word. Now, let's unpack that a little bit. We've, we've defined the kingdom of heaven as the community or territory over which Christ reigns as king. Now, when it comes to geography, when it comes to territory, we don't have to worry about kingdom expansion in terms of geography because the kingdom of heaven is spiritual in nature. It is a heavenly kingdom not defined by territorial boundaries. It's a kingdom that knows no territorial boundaries. So geography is irrelevant when it comes to the kingdom 
of heaven. However, the kingdom of heaven does expand in terms of the community over which Christ reigns. It expands in terms of the number of citizens over which Christ reigns this kingdom. So in a sense, we could say that in terms of kingdom expansion, we bring people into the kingdom from the outside, those who were not yet citizens of the kingdom, we invite them in to the kingdom to submit to the lordship of Jesus. So much like earthly kingdoms conquer territory and make slaves of the people they conquer, well, people come into our kingdom and are also servants, but they don't serve us so that we can do philosophy and art. They, along with us, serve our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the kingdom of heaven does not expand by means of the sword, but by the word. Now this movement of the kingdom of heaven, it began with Jesus preaching that the kingdom is near. Well, he designated 12 men called apostles. That word literally means sent ones. And he sent them on his behalf to go and preach the good news of the kingdom of heaven. And they went throughout Jerusalem, spreading the message of the kingdom, then throughout all of Judea, then into all Samaria, and then eventually through the Apostle Paul, whom God designated to be his special chosen servant, he took the message beyond the borders of Israel into the territory of the Gentiles and spread the message throughout the Roman Empire. You can read about this kingdom expansion throughout the book of Acts. Well, Paul the Apostle wrote several letters in the New Testament, and I'd like to look at one of those letters with you. Turn with me to the book of Romans in your Bible. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the, the Christians living in Rome in his day. And I'll just set the context for you. We'll be in chapter 10. We'll start in verse 1. But this little section of Romans is part of a larger section. And the context here, uh, we can't divorce chapter 10 from 9 and 11. Paul's argument here has to do with the people of Israel, people who are literal, earthly, biological descendants of Israel, a.k.a. Jacob. And, and Paul, you can see his heart here. His heart, he's in agony because he, he was sent to preach the gospel. Well, the gospel was for Israel. It was their good news. Hey, Israel, you know that whole kingdom resurrection, that whole kingdom regeneration, that whole restoration of Israel to her former state of glory? Well... That's for you. That's the message. That's the kingdom. It's here. And King Jesus is your Messiah. Well, by and large, the Israelites rejected that message. So Paul is heartbroken because he knows that Jesus is the gate. No one comes into the kingdom except through him. And so he's heartbroken. And so he points out in this passage here that his fellow Israelites are trying to attain right standing with God by their own methods, namely through the Old Covenant, through the Law of Moses. And, and Paul's like, look, that thing is now rendered obsolete with the coming of Jesus Christ. We are, uh, the New Covenant is upon us. The message is simple. It is through faith. And so he, he contrasts these two methods, okay? The Old Covenant method and the New Covenant method. The Old Covenant method was do this and live. The New Covenant way is live and do this. You get life 
through faith. And then you can do good works, which God has prepared in advance for you to do, but you are not saved by works, saved by faith. So Paul, in this passage, he quotes a few times from Deuteronomy chapter 30 in the giving of the law by Moses, the giving of that old covenant. And in that section, Moses essentially says to the people, look, I got a couple options here for you. In one hand, life and prosperity and blessings. In the other hand, death and destruction. Easy choice. And you know what? The means by which to attain life and blessings and prosperity, it's not this high and lofty crazy message that you got to go up to heaven to get. It's near you. It's on your lips. It's on your heart. It's simple. Just obey. Obey the Lord. Love the Lord with your heart and obey him out of that love. And then he says, likewise, the message that I present to you today, the message of the new covenant, it's not this high and lofty message that you got to go up to heaven to get. It's easy. It's simple. It's on your lips and on your heart. Just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's unpack this a little bit. Let's read through this. Make some application. In Romans 10, beginning in verse 1, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end or culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Verse 5. Moses writes about this righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. Do this and live. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. Remember, kingdom expands not by the sword, but by the word. What does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and on your heart. That is the message concerning the faith that we proclaim. What is that word? What is the message of faith? Verse 9. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess your faith and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all. And richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. If anyone enters the kingdom by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus, how can they do that if they've never heard of the Lord Jesus? How are they going to hear about the Lord Jesus if nobody preaches to them? And if 
nobody is sent, how is somebody going to preach to them? Paul is breaking ground here, okay? He's going into territories that have never heard the message. They've never heard of Jesus. This is brand new. This is literal news to them, okay? Paul didn't, Paul didn't show up to a place where there was a church on every other street corner, where there were worship services on Sunday mornings. Paul showed up to a place where they were like, Yeshua, who? <laughs> Jesus, what? Oh, and Christ isn't his last name? What, what does all this mean? This was news. This was groundbreaking stuff here. Okay? The kingdom cannot expand numerically in terms of citizenship without somebody preaching the word, the word of the gospel. And how can anyone preach unless he is sent? Again, Paul the apostle. Apostle literally means sent one. Paul was sent. Jesus is the apostle of God, the one who was sent by God. The twelve were the and Paul were the apostles of Jesus. Jesus specifically sent Paul to the Gentiles. Now this is where we need to remember the first century context. If the long-awaited kingdom of heaven has arrived, the king is here, his name is Jesus, good news on all you Gentiles, you're invited in. How is that message going to reach the ends of the earth? This is Bill O'Reilly here with a Fox News special report. It has just been reported that the kingdom of heaven has arrived in Jesus of Nazareth. No, no Fox News, no CNN, no Facebook, okay? no Yahoo, no text messaging, no phone, no fax machine, no telegram. If somebody is going to find out that something's going down, it's going to happen because you send somebody on foot or on horse to go there and tell them, or at least hand them a scroll to read. No texting. Okay? First century, long before all that. So Paul is saying, look, I'm the delegate. I am the sent one who has been sent to preach this message to you. Okay? You're not going to know about it because they're not going to fax you anything from where. I'm here to tell it to you. Okay? I'm the delegate. And when it comes to sending a message, I mean, you read about this throughout the Old Testament. You see times when they were at war and then somebody was saying, hey, go, go bring news to tell what happened. Well, you don't want to be bringing bad news. You don't want to be the bearer of bad news. I mean, you can get killed if you, they don't like your news at times, right? That's where that whole phrase, you know, don't shoot the messenger, or as Bodie Bauckham puts it, I don't write the mail, I just deliver it, right? You want to be the messenger who brings good news. You want to be the one that says, hey, we won, or hey, we're winning. You want to be the one who shares good news. Now, Paul uses this language to essentially say, I'm the one, I'm the, de the delegate, I'm here preaching the word to you. And the message is not surrender to the sword, it's surrender to the word. Now, he continues in verse 16. He says, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. There's that word again, good news, that phrase. That's a, that's a buzzword in this passage. Not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? He's quoting Isaiah 53, 1 there. 
pointing out that the gospel message foretold in Isaiah 700 years prior to Jesus Christ is being fulfilled now. And Isaiah predicted the fact that there would be many who rejected the news, who did not believe the news. Paul is saying, hey, look, I'm living this thing out right now. I'm the one bringing good news. How beautiful are these feet? That's right. And just as Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our message? There's a lot of people not believing the message. Not all the Israelites believe the message. Consequently, verse 17, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. The kingdom expands through the word, not the sword. This word that we see over and over here, good news, that's synonymous with gospel. Gospel means good news. This is the message about Jesus Christ. Again, we hate to be the bearer of bad news. We like to be the bearer of good news. When you've got a surprise for somebody, or if you bought somebody a present or a gift, can you not wait until the day? Are you not counting down the days until you actually get to give that to somebody or tell them that surprise, tell them that good news? You just you can't wait. And I know some of y'all in here, you can't wait. You're like, I know it's two weeks until your birthday, but I'm going to come by tonight and bring you your gift. I just can't <laughs> wait. I've got something I need to tell you, but it can't wait. I can't wait to share this good news with you. And on the other hand, we really don't like to be the bearer of bad news. If you got bad news, don't you dread the moment where you have to tell somebody the bad news? You're like looking for a way out of it, like maybe I don't really got to tell them about this. I really don't want to. You're avoiding it at all costs and you're dreading it. And you're just like, man, but we love to share some good news. I remember when they built a Carl's Jr. <laughs> and I was like, good news. They built a Carl's Jr. in Cedar Park. Wouldn't it be neat if they built one in Georgetown? And my friends who know me best, one day they said, D-Boom, good news. Right next to Chick-fil-A. Carl's Jr. When we found out that my daughter got accepted to Gateway, my wife is texting everybody, good news. Annika got accepted to Gateway. We love to share good news. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking that the good news of Jesus Christ, it's not just good news. It's not just great news. It is the greatest news that has ever been told. And if we really believe that, should we not be bursting at the seams, ready to shout that news from the rooftops. Hey, guess what? Through faith in Jesus Christ, my sins are forgiven. By believing in him and in the fact that he shed his blood on the cross, he made atonement for my sins. And by believing in him, God sees me as clean. I am forgiven by him. And therefore, I can come into his presence and I can have fellowship with him. Talk about good news. Now, there is a vast difference between the context of Paul sharing the good news and you and I sharing the good news, right? As I mentioned, Paul didn't show up to the Bible Belt where there was a church on every other street corner where they were having church service already Sunday mornings. Groundbreaking stuff here. Brand new. Literal news. 
You and me. 2,000 years later, we're in the Bible Belt, baby. Church on every other street corner. Different context. So surely everybody's heard the gospel, right? There's, we don't really need to share the gospel, right? I mean, everybody's heard it by now. I would say no to that. And here's why. Because even though we're right here in the Bible Belt, where everybody's heard the gospel, right? I mean, this is a growing area. There's a lot of people moving here from places like Las Vegas and California, and nothing but heathens live there. So you know that the gospel has never been shared with those people. So we have to shout this kid. But seriously, even though, yes, we live in the Bible Belt, yes, we live in a place where everybody's... Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I've experienced. Here's what I've observed. While you would think that, hey, church, I'm in street corner, everybody got to know this. No, I'm thinking and I'm seeing bits and pieces of the gospel. And in fact, I'm going to go so far as to say that many people, if not most people, haven't actually heard the true and full gospel, but have actually been told the gospel. If you're new to New Covenant Fellowship, it's an insider term. Okay, this is how it works. Welcome. <laughs> you can literally do it to pretty much any word, okay? Add F to the beginning. If it starts with a consonant, drop that first letter, replace it with the F, and it turns any word into its antithesis, the unversion. So the gospel is the false gospel. Barnabas, for example, is a name that means son of encouragement. Now, if you're being a jerk, you might just be, be called a Barnabas, <laughs> the son of discouragement, <laughs> the antithesis of Barnabas. All right. So we should preach the gospel here in the Bible Belt because so often what has been heard, what has been promoted is a gospel. Perhaps you've heard this version. You want to be a Christian? It's great. Let me tell you how it works. All right. First, stop drinking. Stop smoking. Stop cussing. Stop watching rated R movies. Stop listening to secular music. Stop going to the club. Okay? And now, wake up early on Sunday morning. Come listen to a boring sermon based on an antiquated book. Sing songs you don't like. Give money so that the preacher can get a new Lamborghini. Here's a list of do's and don'ts. In other words... Do this and live. The yoke is hard and the burden is heavy. But whoever said it was going to be easy, we got to earn our way, right? Gospel. That's not the new covenant gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the old covenant gospel. Or maybe this one. I got one word. Crusades. Now, when you get home today, go to YouTube. The three of you that are wanting to do it right now on your phone, stop. When you get home, YouTube, search the Kingdom of Heaven movie trailer. Okay? Now, I've said it a few times, so crowd participation. The kingdom expands by the sword of the word. 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 <laughs> now, the Kingdom of Heaven movie 
is a movie about the Crusades. Do me a favor. Count the number of swords in that movie trailer. <laughs> Let me read you an excerpt from Wikipedia on the Crusades. The first crusade was called by Pope Urban II in 1095 with the stated goal of restoring Christian access to holy places in and near Jerusalem. This led to an intermittent 200-year struggle to reclaim the holy land that ended in failure. Really, 1095, holy land, fossil. The biblical concept of expanding the kingdom through the word and not the sword flies in the face of our predecessors. After the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, the end of the Old Covenant Age and the full consummation of the New Covenant Kingdom Age, that holy land defined by geographical borders in the Middle East is not the Holy Land. Since then, you want to know where the Holy Land is today? You're in it. Because the kingdom, <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is not defined by geographical borders. It is a heavenly kingdom. It is a spiritual kingdom. That definition of Israel, based on geographical borders, was part and parcel of the Old Covenant, not the New. And Christians, in 1095, long after the Old Covenant was over, were fighting for geographically defined holy land with the sword? And that misnomer is perpetuated to this day. Go to BibleGateway.com. They, they always got these banners with advertisements. One of them that's on there frequently is, Send money to support Israel and protect the Holy Land. Because after all, the Jews are still God's chosen people. And if you're a citizen of the kingdom of God at all, then you're certainly a second-class citizen, right? No. As we read in Romans 10, the same Lord is Lord of all, both Jew and Gentile. Gospel. Again, the kingdom of heaven is not defined by geographical boundaries, but it is a heavenly habitation. It is a spiritual place. It's not to be attained, sustained, uh, or expanded through military might or the sword, but by the word, the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ and the message not of bloodshed, but of peace. Peace between God and peace between man and his fellow man. As Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, which is essentially the code of the kingdom, the essence of life in the new land, love your neighbor. Well, actually, let's raise the bar. Love your 
enemies. I don't remember where Jesus said, put them to the sword to defend this land. Actually, I remember in John chapter 4 when he told the woman at the well, look, the time is coming when, you know what, you're not going to worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem. But true worshipers will worship him in spirit and in truth. I mean, think about it. How many people respond to either a church invite or just a religious or theological discussion with, I'm not really into religion because you know how much blood has been shed in the name of religion? And they're sort of right. Why? If the Bible teaches that the kingdom of heaven is not expanded through the sword, why? Gospel. So yes, Paul was breaking new ground, sharing a new message, an unheard of concept to those to whom he was preaching. And you and I, right here in the Bible Belt, church on every other street corner. But that doesn't mean that everybody knows the truth of the gospel. I grew up in Newport News, Virginia. If you go to yellowpages.com, 1,197 churches are listed in Newport News, Virginia. So certainly by the seventh grade, I would have heard and known the gospel, right? More like a fossil. I am thankful for the beautiful feet of a young lady named Crystal Ham, who sat next to me in my seventh grade English class and who saw the message of Jesus Christ in the gospel of the kingdom as good enough news to share it with me. In the middle of a mock presidential debate, hey David, you know how you go to heaven? Of course. You just be a good person, right? Actually, no. I mean, how good? How good is good enough? My response? Well, you know, you just do more good than bad. I mean, your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, right? I mean, simple as that. Well, actually, David, God demands perfection. He demands a sinless life. Have you ever done something wrong? Like, Crystal, my name is on the board right now. (laughs) You know why my right forearm is three times the size of my left? You know how many times I've written? I will not throw pencils into the ceiling. A hundred times. I will not talk while the teacher is talking. A hundred times. I will not throw erasers across the class. Of course. Of course I've sinned. Of course I've messed up. David, what you need then is to have your sins forgiven. The only one who ever lived a sinless life, the only one who ever lived according to God's demands is his son, Jesus Christ. And by believing in him and placing your faith in him, God will forgive your sins. And I am so thankful 
that she would share that news with me. That seed was planted on that day in the seventh grade. And then over time, God sent some more of his servants to come along and water that seed and to corroborate the message that she shared with me. And then one day, March 9th, 2000, it all came together for me and it clicked. And I placed my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the angels in heaven rejoiced over one sinner who repented. And the kingdom expanded that day by one. The means, not a man with a sword, but a little child, a little girl, and the word. One of the most rewarding moments in my life was the day that my phone rang, and it was a phone number that I didn't recognize. It was an area code that I had never seen before. So I said, hello? And the voice at the other end said, is this David Boone? I said, yeah. He said, I don't know if you remember me, but I remember you. My name is Robert Tagnello. And one day, when I was at the bus stop, I was dejected, I was hungry, and you came, and you sat down next to me. You shared a meal with me, you shared the gospel with me, and you gave me your Bible. And I wanted to call, thank you, because my life has been forever changed. Now, I don't know. I couldn't tell you how many people I've shared the gospel with, but I can tell you that's the only phone call that I've ever got saying thank you. So I don't know how many people actually received the message and believed with faith. But if he's the only one I'm okay with that. But in my experience, most oftentimes, the message is not received with faith, at least initially. And one thing that I have learned over the years is that statistically, I don't have a very good track record of arguing anybody into the kingdom of heaven. It just doesn't really work very well for me. And while I recognize that the kingdom of heaven is not expanded by the sword, but by the word, if I'm not careful, my words resemble the sword. I've had plenty of conversations that I can recall in which my words were like daggers. I mean, an all-out verbal assault. We're talking looking like the second coming of Jesus Christ, sword coming out my mouth. And my words were far less than charitable, and rather than having a pleasant dialogue, it was more of a militant-minded monologue. So over the years, I've learned that the process by which I share the good news is just as important as the news I'm sharing. 
In other words, the container is just as important as the content. I mean, think about it. Hey, I would like to invite you into a kingdom characterized by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. All the while, my face is turning red and I'm so angry because you won't believe me. Why can't you see this? My arguments sound. Are you stupid or something? That doesn't really work so well. <laughs> Rather than drawing somebody into the kingdom, that repels them. At least in my experience. My work. I don't think it I mean, we have good news to share. It is our privilege to share the gospel, to expand the kingdom by the word. Trying to argue somebody into the kingdom is just counterproductive. This is how you kingdom people are. No thanks. Not interested. Well, before we close, one final word of encouragement. Paul the Apostle, writing to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, he says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will be rewarded each according to their own labor. For we are God's co-workers in his service. So, like the first century apostles, let us take up the task of expanding the kingdom through evangelism. Let's do our part as co-workers with God in his service. And our role is simply to share the gospel. It is God's role. To make them believe. That is not our role. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. Our role is to plant a seed or to water the seed. It is up to God to make it grow. So in sharing the word in expansion of the kingdom, that age-old proverb is more than applicable. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And in this case, you can lead a man to the springs of living water you can't make him drink. So let's let God play his role. And let's you and I play our role, which is a very exciting role, because don't we love to share good news? Our role is to simply share the good news and leave the results up to God. Let's have beautiful feet. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those bring good news. Amen?